Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. His name is James. <laughs> Super awkward. I was gonna right? try to. I was gonna try to sing back, uh, but you just made me laugh. I know. I told. It's, it's so off key. Yeah, but off I mean, key, off tune. I don't. Need, it's just off. That's what I know. Yeah. In a beautiful kind of way, though, because I felt the sincerity in that. Did you feel mm-hmm. the sincerity or lack thereof? Uh huh. Awesome. Thanks. That's great. Yeah. So. Sometimes we have people come on and share their story that it's like, dude, I don't even know this guy, but he sounds awesome. In fact, Chris and I had a conversation about that recently. Then I'm like, Chris, who's this guy? And he's like, don't worry about it. He's awesome. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so, um, not so in this case, though. not so in this case, you totally knew this guy, totally know this guy. So let me tell you something about Will. Will is like, this is Will in my life. Like you just... Like you can't shake him, you know, and not like in an annoying way. It's one of those like, God, get off me. I get it. Like Will just has this ability to just kind of like walk around the corner to my house. Just kind of all these key times. Ah. Um, You know what I mean? And um, I think what I'm most excited about this episode. So Will wrestled, uh, has wrestled for quite some time, probably I would say a year ish for real. Like he's always been like, since he's, you know, I was doing the podcast was like, Oh, I want to come on sometime. But I think probably last year is really wrestled with like actually coming on. Right. Even to the fact that, uh, two days before we recorded this, you're like, no, Will said, never mind." And then yeah. I saw you today and he's like, no, Will's doing it. And I'm like, oh, Will pick a lane. And just there's there. It's hard to talk about recovery when it's not in the rearview mirror and it's active and it's current. Yeah. But that is what, unashamed unafraid was founded on that principle of you don't have to be fully you know it doesn't have to be five years in the past ten years in the past in order to share your story and be able to give hope and you know help to others sounds like god might need will for some larger things down the road i agree and so if you want to hear a larger story for sure and some awesome recovery and some real struggles and some vulnerability and honesty. We invite you to stay tuned and we invite you to give us five stars on iTunes. That's the way the world find us. More people can hear Will's story. And also, as you know, we are a nonprofit 501 C three because we create scholarships for people to get therapy, go to boot camp, do different resources. So if you are in need of resources, um, wherever you live in the country, we have some scholarships for you. So we invite you to go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships. And if you'd like to listen to the bonus content after this episode or help fund those scholarships, we invite you to go unashamedunafraid.com slash donate to become an outsider, those who are bold, accepted, and unashamed. And guess who became an outsider this month? Do tell. It was our very own Will Wallace. Indeed. And I believe we had some other outsiders you want to give a shout out to. Yes, we do. Shane and Kristen, thank you very much. Absolutely. Mark, welcome to the outsiders. I see you, Mark. And Alex. Whoa, dude's a beast, by the way. We know who you are. 
Love ya. Love ya. Love will. Um, takes courage to even listen to this episode. We, so we invite you to step in, be unashamed and afraid, and join us as we step in the studio with Will. Sir Will, how was the commute? Uh, pretty easy considering it was like a one minute walk. Uh, for sure, realist and dealist. Will, so for those who don't know you, paint yourself into context. Myself into context? Well, my name is William Wallace. What? You mean like Braveheart William Wallace? Indeed. Sir Freedom! William, yeah. So awesome. Sir William Wallace II is the name that my parents gave me at birth, and I'm so grateful for it. Um, I embraced it. I play the bagpipes. I love music. I love going to Scottish festivals. Ah, it's amazing. So, uh, to make sure we start this interview on the right foot, no posing, are you actually Scottish? So my family has been in America since 1734. So I would very much say that I am American, but we come of Scottish descent. And yes, indeed. Just I, I if I was listening, I'd be like, mm, okay, is this guy right? <laughs> so that's why the real deal. Okay, well, the other thing I want to address. Uh, no, you know what? We're gonna do that in the bonus content. I have yes. a really good question in the bonus content to ask you, and I'm gonna wait until then. So, Will, how old are you? I am 20 years old. Just turned 20 a couple weeks ago, and single, and ready to mingle. Oh, okay. So height of your addiction, start us there. I thought we were going to start with the the beginning story, but I I guess we're going with this. So the height of acting out for me was when I was 16 years old. I was looking at porn at least a couple days out of the week, um, if not every day. And every Except um, when I was trying to white knuckle it, which even then I couldn't go more than two weeks at a time. Uh, Whenever I had the chance, um, I sexually took advantage of girls um, rather than just the average guy who takes what he can get, who, who takes what he can get whenever it presents itself like rub up on a girl or whatnot. I was actively seeking for opportunities to do that. And that year it happened a lot. I could not stop doing it. I engaged in voyeurism as well during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, so how did we get there? I, when I was three years old, I saw porn for the first time. And uh, it, I grew up in the house uh, with porn. My, my dad was a porn addict um, growing up. And, and so I, I have several instances of seeing him looking at porn and being curious of what it was. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was about eight that I started to really engage in that curiosity and embrace it, really. And that's when I found out, you know, what porn was. And I started looking at it Um, a little while longer. I discovered masturbation and I put two and two together 
and sure. became addicted. When when were you in a place of like, oh, I think I have a problem? I, I realized that it was bad because I got caught, you know, I wasn't very good at hiding it. Uh, my parents found out. I remember having an experience. It was on Sunday, actually, looking at porn. And my mom comes down and sees me and she starts yelling at me. And I say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And she says, you're not sorry. You're sorry because you got caught. And I was so ashamed of that. Um because you felt like she was shaming you or because you felt like it was true? Both. Mm. Both. Yeah, I felt my mother was a huge source of love for me and connection. Um, and just to have the person who I love the most in my life do that broke me to pieces and I cried. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I started realizing that it was a problem, um, when it came time to receive the ironic priesthood, I, I recognized there was a worthiness aspect there and I didn't quite understand it, but I still, I still knew that it existed. Right. And that's to be able to serve right in, in capacities in church, right. In the LDS church. So receiving yeah, the ironic priesthood. In the church. Yeah. That that's first like age step. 12, right. So mm-hmm. age 12, first step in, in, uh, pastoral leadership, right. Stepping in and serving in the church, right. Mm-hmm. Serving the congregation. Mm-hmm. So if we're Catholic altar boy, if we're right. So different. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a certain aspect of, I need to not be doing yeah, this. Worthiness, right. right of right. worthiness. Worthy to serve God. Yep. And so, um, I confessed my addiction. I, I went up to my bishop. I was like, Bishop, I think I have an addiction to masturbation and pornography. And he was like, oh, are, are you sure? Do you know what that is? You know? Um, like, I'm pretty sure I know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I wasn't clueless. I knew what I was into by the time I was 12. And I was ashamed of it. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's when the problem came out. And since then, I've been seeing therapists and trying to work recovery, quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like five questions I want to ask there. But James, I'll let you go first. Well, I'm going to start. I'm going to kind of rewind things and go down the path. I like to go down here. Um, I. I'd like you to tell me a little bit about what your relationship with, um, with God had been like, um, maybe kind of in those early years, maybe 12, 13, 14 and stuff. Yeah. Um, as you were, cause I know that as we engage in, in those types of behaviors, it often can, um, kind of twist that relationship. So just curious what that was like for you. Yeah, so there's an aspect of fatherlessness there. Um, I put the face of my father on God um, to me, and I knew God loved me, um, but I didn't know it that much. You know, I knew he existed. I believed he existed. I, I would later go on to f- have my own spiritual experiences to know that God exists and have a uh, strength and testimony. But for me, when I was that young, I saw God as 
oh, he wants me to be worthy. So if I'm not worthy, then he can't love me mm. at all. Okay. If I'm not doing the right thing, if I'm not on the right path, he's ashamed of me. And you felt like, you know, you talked about you had put the face of your father on to God. You, so are you saying that that's kind of how you felt like your your dad felt about you? Yeah. Yeah. So my dad and his dad before him were disciplinarians. Um, just a lot of perfectionism um, and, and shame there. A lot of shame. Um, for my dad, it was a lot of shame from his dad. And so he couldn't ever share that. He, he couldn't even parent any other way because that's all that he knew. So what did shame look like in your family? Um, because I know, like in my family, the way that shame was laid on me and was put on me, it, it looks different than it was laid on, say, in like Steve's family or, or in Jason's family. Um, you know, because every family kind of has their own shame type of system. And sometimes we might even grow up in the shame system and not even recognize that that's what's going on. Um, so if you could just describe maybe how maybe some of those bigger shame uh, moments were in your family and, and how those messages were laid on you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously growing up, that was the life I grew up with. It was the only one I knew. I didn't see any other kids' lives and go like, oh yeah, their dad's pretty cool. My dad sucks. Not really. I was just kind of like, okay, this is life. This is how it is. Um, for me, my dad, my dad is deaf. He's completely deaf. And so growing up, it was hard to communicate with him. Um, he grew up in a family that didn't, I mean, they, they were with him, they supported him, but no sign there. And so he grew up oral, um, just speaking. Uh, and so he can speak like a regular, like you and me, um, but he didn't learn sign until later in life. And so just talking with him, he would talk back to me. Um, but I would, I would learn sign just to be able to sign to him and then have him talk to back to me. And when you're speaking two different languages, because that's what it is, there's a lack of communication there. So all growing up, that was there, that was prevalent. And then also there was emotional and physical abuse. Obviously there's a range of physical abuse. I wouldn't say um, like, I wouldn't say it was that bad, but it was there and it hurt, you know. Um, it wasn't too often, but I mean, when I needed to be disciplined, I needed to be disciplined, you know. Um, so, you know, that was just the voice of your father, right? When I needed to be disciplined, I needed to be disciplined. That was the justification for the physical abuse. Right. Right. Sorry, I just couldn't let that one fly. Yeah, so my dad, he he actually told me we had a really tender moment connecting, and we've had that more nowadays as we're able to communicate better. And he's told me that he... He knew, I, we were talking about that same idea of him being shamed all his life growing up. And by that happening, he was not able to share anything else with me as in, in the form of parenting. And we were talking about that topic and he was like, yeah, I didn't want to mess you up. 
with my parenting. And so I didn't. So shame in your family came in the form of absenteeism then? Absenteeism is definitely... And a lack of communication, yeah. a lack of uh, mm-hmm. connection or vulnerability then? Yeah, Okay. definitely. And yeah, emotional abuse. My father's a yeller. He yells. Um, if I'm not doing what's right or I'm talking back like kids do, he would yell at me and it's just very firm, you know. Mm-hmm. And was, was name calling involved in the yelling? I, I just thought about that just now. I mean, yeah, you're, you're okay. just a stupid teenager. Okay. So some, a lot of labels came with the shame too then. Yeah. Well, I think for like somebody who's listening is like, <clears throat> you know, is it really that bad or whatever? I mean, we've had multiple people come on the show with physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse backgrounds and, and not be able to name it. You know, I mean, I think, I think you've done a lot of work to be able to hold space and to name it. Um, and so I totally honor you for that. Um, Thank but, you. but I think the, the name calling is such a key. Like that's Huge. what, like uh, rarely in mental health and in the healing space, do you say always or never? It always is. It never is. Right. right. Cause there's some person who can say that's not how it was for me. Um, but when the name calling's there, that's a pretty tough, like, that's just give like me the, a scenario where there's not name calling where shame isn't present. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. like the telltale sign that shame is being laid right. on to somebody. <laughs> right. So if you're, if you can't hold space, I mean, I mean, my commentary would be this. If you can't hold space for it, Will is sharing right now, there's a reason you can't hold space for it and probably because it's too close to home. But that's what I make up about people listening who may have a hard time hearing you. And I wouldn't say it was like so often. It wasn't like every time he talked to me, he would name call me. It was just when I did stupid things mm-hmm. that that were worthy of name calling. I'll let James go ahead with that, what you just said. No, I know. I know. Like you realize you literally just use name calling that three or four times when we've been, when when we've been talking about this, just like the shame in you growing up, you have literally used your father's words and your father's voice as your own and haven't noticed. I noticed the last time. I, I just hope to see like the, just the power, right? Like that shame has, like how it integrates into us and how, and how big of a thing it is. Cause, cause I think there's a lot of people in their process, me included, they were like, Oh, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, that's how I started. My recovery was like, no, I have a really good family. My people are real. They acknowledge the trauma. Yeah. They're I'm probably still in here. that stage a little bit. Yeah. I just said, so I think it's just powerful for you to kind of sit here and, and just speak your truth and own that. And, and I know just cause I know of your intestinal fortitude, if I can put it that way, right. That I'm like, Hey, this is showing up literally right now as we are talking about this Yeah. in current context. And I just think that's pretty powerful. Yeah. To talk about, I did things worthy of name calling. Dude, that just, no, I did stupid things yeah. worthy of name. calling. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Stupid things that were worthy of name calling. That's like, no. Yeah. Right. Doing things, whatever those are, never merit name calling, period. Yeah. So I think 
a curiosity for me, Will, is like, so where is mom in all of this and siblings? Like, paint the rest of the picture around the experience with your father and growing up. Yeah, so I grew up with my mom and three sisters. Um, my mom and dad kind of had kids spaced apart. <laughs> so it's it's my oldest sister, my two older sisters, and then me and then my younger sister. But I grew up in California and lived there for the first eight years of my life. And, uh, and then we moved here to Utah when I was eight and a half, you know. Um, but my mom and sisters were really awesome growing up. And so I saw woman as something, as, as people that I needed. Like mm -hmm. if I didn't have women in my life, I was done. Mm -hmm. That that connection, it, I was addicted to that mm -hmm. connection, you know, mm -hmm. because men weren't there for me. Mm -hmm. Both my grandfathers lived in Utah and so there wasn't anyone there except my dad. And sorry, both your grandfathers didn't live in Utah. They they did live in Utah. He lived in California. Oh, okay. Yeah, got, I lived got, in got California. Okay. They okay. lived in Utah, so no, no grandfathering yeah. there. Yeah. And then, yeah, my dad. So my dad was all I had to work with, really. No brothers, nothing. And I love my dad. Um, my mom. She was the source of love in my life. You know, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't say, obviously, I didn't grow up knowing God like I do now, having the intimate relationship that I do with him now. It was with my mom and my sisters. Mm -hmm. And so my mom really took care of me and was able to hold space for me where my dad wasn't. Mm -hmm. She was the one defending me to him when I did mm -hmm. silly things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So... So move us to, right, like putting all that together. When I was um, 10 or 11 years old, I had an experience um, that was pretty traumatizing for me. I went with my friend and his family to uh, a water park nearby, and we were having loads of fun. And uh, my, my friend... Uh, happened to go hang out with his dad elsewhere. And I was left with his older brother who uh, took advantage of me. Uh, he tried pulling down my swimming suit and touching me in my private parts. And I was kind of freaked out because that had never happened to me before in my life. Um, I was like, what the heck? And so I tried, it was like, it was almost as twisted as it was, it was almost like a game for him. And I would just try to run away and get away as, as much as I could. My, the whole time I was freaking out. I went over to his mom actually. And when I was with his mom, he, he obviously didn't do it then. Right. Um, but she asked me, well, Will, why aren't you swimming? And I was like, um, I don't know how to tell you this, but yeah, I'm being sexually harassed by your son right now. So I didn't say that, obviously. Right. Um, but also at that point in time, I was also starting to become addicted to porn. And so I felt almost this sense of like, oh, I don't want to rat him out because I feel that. I feel that, you know, being addicted mm. to porn. And so I felt shame for him. Yeah. Because I've felt it in my life already. Well, and I think that's a common 
right? Having worked with other men and heard other stories, I think, I think you're hitting on something that's true for a lot of men with sexual abuse is because we are so sexualized in society mm-hmm. that there's this double down of like, well, maybe I'm gay or, or maybe I wanted this cause I'm so sexual or maybe, right. And that also happens with women too, right. That, that shame and that dialogue that yeah. way. But I think that's a way it happened. Like what you're describing, I'm like, Ooh man, like I hope the world hears that, you know, because like just because you were looking at porn and had your own sexuality, whatever, screw ups, discoveries, mishaps, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. we want to label what you were at, at that age, right? At that like super young age, like that didn't, that didn't mean you wanted to be violated or should have been violated right. or he had the right to violate you or that his behavior on any level was okay. Yeah. So that's pretty powerful. We talked about that. You felt shame um, on his behalf and that wanted you, that made you want to stay quiet and, and in a way protect him. Um, cause like in perhaps in your own messaging, you're like, Oh, I, I know what he's going through. Cause, cause I'm broken like that too. Right. And so, yeah. And I think I'm, I can't explain the science behind it, but for some reason, I think that justifying his actions, I allowed that to justify my doing that later to other people. Oh, okay. And so I think that's kind of where I got the idea that, oh yeah, I can totally sexually act out and use other people for my benefit. Mm-hmm. Because that had been modeled for you or because you had allowed that with, or tell me it, more about that. Because you're talking about um, because you let that happen and you stayed quiet. That no, you, because, no, because he did it. Okay. I got the idea somehow subconsciously. And so later when I progressed deeper into my addiction. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, right. Cause you're talking about, right. When you're talking high to your addiction, when you're 16, right. Mm-hmm. Like I, women are an object to be used, which is not an uncommon sexual addiction practice of men. Right. Mm-hmm. That I can objectify these people, that same process. I'm understanding you, right. Will's nodding. Yes. You can't see. Cause yes, this I'm is not audio. And I, and I think I can speak to, I mean, the science is one thing, but I think high level, it's a pretty easy, you know, what we don't, repair we repeat yeah that's true and 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 that can look differently i'm not saying everyone who was sexually assaulted will then sexually assault people right so i'm not so don't hear and anyone listening don't hear you know will is going to prison for five to ten because he's done all this stuff right it's that pattern of you're talking about in principle that pattern of right what i what i believe i is fine for me to do or justify my behavior. Um, but so think it, right. I mean, this is pick any, right. Many of the stories of people in the sex industry when they get Mm -hmm. out, right. There's this process of sexual abuse, physical abuse, right. The abuse happens. And so they repeat what they don't, you know, Yeah. I I only know how to do this. And so now I want to do it in a way where I'm in control or I have the power so I heard that from several stories of women outside of the sex industry. They're like, oh, I hate men. I don't want to have sex with anyone. But what I enjoyed was the power that I was in control of the situation. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's so much around, right, what we don't 
repair, we repeat. And so I think that's yeah. powerful when you said, I, I'm not sure how it all affected me, but I know it did. So that's, yeah, that's, I yeah. think that, I think that's the golden nugget out of this is like, there's, there's a link between sexual abuse and then your ongoing sexuality or behavior. So there's not right. an all or nothing. So no, not every woman who's experienced sexual abuse then goes and prostitutes herself or enters the second. Of course, right. that's not true. And that's not the dialogue around the whole situation or for men, right? That because I was molested, now I'm going to go molest people. But this pattern, mm-hmm. right? This seepage, that's this powerful the way you shared that. Yeah. And I definitely didn't have anyone to talk to about that because just internalize that um, kind of the shame along with that. I'm a, yeah. I'm a bad person. So mm-hmm. you don't deserve to talk about your problems with anyone. Mm. And yeah, so that affected me to the point where just, just a couple years later when I was 13, I had a sexual experience. Um, my first sexual experience um, in which I sexually assaulted someone. And I, I remember in that moment just being so curious and aroused and I, I was unashamed of what I did. I was so deep into that. I, I heard the little voice before it happened say, Will, don't go out there, don't do that, you know? And I chose to ignore it. And by the end of the day, I was completely, I was like, sweet, I'm doing that again next week. Just have, just have so much compassion for that little Will. He had no idea what he was getting into. It was all new for him. He was a kid himself, and God has helped me to realize that. And He holds space for me. Indeed, He does. And so by the time I was 16, I mean, I had a couple instances, you know, got into high school, had a girlfriend, started touching her, you know, just wanting to find intimacy where intimacy should not have been. And that led to when I was 16, the height of my addiction to where I was obsessed with it. It was the only thing I could think about was when I was going to get my next fix mm-hmm. of being able to rub up on someone or touch someone. I was looking for that. Right. And it was, man, I hated myself so much. And it got so bad to the point where I tried to kill myself. I I went to church one day and there was no point in going to priest quorum because I wasn't worthy. What's men's group, right? right? Going back pastoral, right? Serving in the church and that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, what's the point? I'm no use. I'm just going to go home. And as I was walking home, I prayed. I said, Heavenly Father, I just need to get all this out. And I shared all the shame that I had. And it was so heavy. I was crying the whole way home. And 
by the time I got to my driveway, God had sent my leader, my young men's leader, to come pick me up before I went in the house and shot myself. And I sat down with that leader just a couple months ago and talked with him. He's a great guy. And his, and I, got, I finally got his version of the story, which was that he saw that I wasn't there in, in Quorum. And he was like, oh, okay, Will made the choice not to be there. I feel for him. And in the midst of, uh, he was setting, he was in the circle, um, setting apart one of the young men for a leadership role. Mm-hmm. And he had his hands. So they're on, in prayer. Yeah, they're yeah. in prayer. And he has his hands on the guy's head. And he's not the one doing the, giving the blessing. He's not the one speaking during it. Right. But he was part of it. And during that, he said that God spoke to him. He said that he nobody had ever spoken to him for someone else that strongly in his entire life. But he heard the Spirit tell him, go get Will. I need him. And he said, no. He shrugged it off because he was in the middle of a blessing. He said, no, I'm busy. And the spirit yelled at him and said, go get Will. I need him. And he, right at that moment, he took his hands off the kid, off the kid's head, left the room, left the church, and by God's timing and his grace, showed up right when I needed him to show up. And so him relaying that experience to me this just a couple months ago has mm. totally boosted my recovery mm. as a sign that God is here for me. Mm-hmm. Does he have a name? This leader? Mm-hmm. Yeah, his name's Dan. Boom, Dan. Thank you, Shout Dan, out. for listening and being bold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so how did you, like, as, as we turn the corner here in this episode, right, of of recovery and um, healing and how did that happen? So the one question that I think is in my mind is, right, as you say, I had sexual assault happen, right, I had things happen. Like, how did you step into like being honest, right? We all know honesty, transparency is totally a part of recovery. And so it sounds like you had some stuff, right? We don't have to get all into it, but um, that's pretty heavy. And so how did you handle stepping into that and, and saying, here's my stuff, here's what's mine to own? I think that progresses along with my relationship with God. So I felt a lot of that was obviously that was my low point. You know, that was the height of my acting out and then the low point. And that all happened that year, you know. And I would say that I've been on the up since then, but I've truly been in recovery since I I would throw I would throw out there since the, my first boot camp. 
which was in November of 2019. Hmm. We love boot camp. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's awesome. And then COVID had to go screw it all up. (laughs) We may have some scholarships for one of those. I know. I want one. Later this year. (laughs) Um, But yeah, at boot camp, I was totally able to find God to separate him from the face of my father mm-hmm. and go, holy crap, God is someone who loves me mm-hmm. and who doesn't care whatever I do, that he will always be able to hold space for me and love me for who I am. And so since that boot camp, it's I, I believe I've been in recovery since then. But so like, how did you do the honesty? Like just sat mom and dad down and you're like, Hey, I think I've got some addiction and a sexual assault. Like, and then I'm really objectifying people. I think like, how did you, yeah. So that's the thing. That's the thing is that I, God has given me, and I would say it's a gift, but I, God has given me the gift of being honest in it, not with, and it was kind of, you know, I'm, I'm still working on it. But he, I knew from the moment I acted out, I have to confess Mm -hmm. and I have to be responsible. I have to own up to my shit. Mm -hmm. And, and so ever since I, that first time, you know, I eventually, a couple years later, I eventually confessed it. And my Mm -hmm. bishop said, well, this is going to be hard, Mm -hmm. but we'll get through this. Yeah. Bishop, pastor, congregational leader. Yeah. Yeah. In the LDS faith. Yeah. And, and so, so yeah, I've, ever since I've done things like that, just stupid sexual things to girls, I've confessed it. Um, and I would say that I was, you know, out on the outside, I was being honest. I was, you know, I knew I wanted to get to heaven. I knew I, I knew I had to confess everything. Right. You know? Right. Um, but I wasn't being honest with myself, really. And I'd say honesty with myself really started when my recovery started. Um, but that's why those years of therapy, going to see therapists and and going to groups, young men groups, you know, from the ages of 12 to, you know, 18, like that I was not in recovery then. Yeah. Because I wasn't doing it for myself. Yeah. I was so. doing it for my salvation. So when I confessed it to the bishop, we went to the law. The law was involved, all of that. And um, around the sexual assault piece, you mean? Around the sexual yeah. assault piece. Yeah. I, I've never raped anyone, I've never had sex. Um, but it was just uh, a, a stupid sexual thing that I did. Right. Um, when I think own the process of what consent really means and when it's present and when it's not. So, I mean, I appreciate your ownership. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I talked to uh, the girl's parents and talked with them and made restitution there. And I have um, with the girls that I've hurt. Mm-hmm. Um there are some instances where it's just like, it's so small and so stupid that if I brought it up to the girl that she would be totally traumatized, you know? 
And so it's not worth hurting them to bring it up. And really, I mean, nothing needs to happen really because I've, you know, I've confessed it all and laid it out on the table. Yeah. Well, that's a hard thing, I think, to step into with courage. You can like want to give you props because, you know, I mean, we've had uh, several people on the podcast who uh, did go to jail. Yeah, and, and and have been in fact, in fact, you know Paul, I know Paul, guy, and yeah. have had conversations. Paul's so, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul, hashtag Paul's the real deal. Go listen to his podcast, right? Um, and uh, mess it up podcast. By the way, yeah. go look it yeah. up. But um, and so uh, I think to the unknown of that, because so often as a therapist, I see people who are like, "This happened. Should I go to jail?" And it's like, "What happened?" And it's like me and a girl kissed when I was 12. It's like, oh, no one actually goes to jail for that, but right. I'm sorry. Yeah. So much shame it was just it. stuff like and, that. Right. And there's stuff on the other side where people are minimizing. I mean, me too. And all right. Where guys are minimizing like, well, she wanted it. She just didn't say it. And it's like, no, that's called rape. Like, no. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a hard, I think that's a hard thing to step into. And also, and um, if this makes anyone cringe, I'm sorry, but restitution is a hard thing to know how to do that. Yeah. Cause like that, you're like, okay. So as with some girl in high school, it was like generally consensual, but I took it too far. And so then maybe it's kind of not. So then how do I own that? What do I say? Like, so should I go call this girl up? I haven't talked to in six months. I've been like, Hey, right. Right. Like right. I, so I there's a line that. there and there, it's hard to find. It's hard. It is hard to find. Cause I think sometimes there's this like, well, if you were really sorry, you would. And what I want to own for, right. All of us struggling with addiction is like, that's restitution is not always a clear line, right? Like I I have those lines in, in my family that, you know, I have, um, sisters who are victims of sexual abuse and then all my sexual acting out and how that's been triggering to them and unsafe to them. Like how do I make restitution to my adult siblings? Yeah, Like that's difficult to know. Or as you know, prostitution, a part of my story, like Mm -hmm. I couldn't find them if I wanted to the truth yeah so what so what do i do in that i'm I'm sorry i participated in this vicious cycle of abuse that's defined your whole life Mm -hmm. i and so that's the you know they talk about in 12 step about donating to an organization or doing things right i mean that's yeah that's part of my work as a therapist is is helping working with people to do restitution but um so yeah i just want to also right give you props for owning just the gray of that and how Mm -hmm. hard that is and they're and just the gray of that, all that, it's so shaming too. Cause mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, well, should I be in prison right now? Or should I, you know, where's the line there? And there've been, I can't tell you how many times there've been moments where I've had that conversation going on mm-hmm. and it's been heavy. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. been heavy. So oh, let's bring it back to, um, who is God to you now? Oh, God? You mean my heavenly father? He's yeah. awesome. And what what changed how and who is he? Who was he then and who is he now? Just give us a quick... Um, he... How did he help you through this? Because you talked about you went to boot camp. You, dis- you felt like you discovered who God really was. Yeah. And that put you on a path to real so, recovery. Yeah. So tell me what changed for you. So that's... Fatherlessness is real for me. Like that's that's heavy for me. And so when I went to boot camp and found out, I mean, I obviously knew as I started to get older that 
my dad isn't God, that I need to have some space from him, have some boundaries. And it's hard. Totally Um, hard. But God for me then was shaming, was if you're not earning it, boy, Mm -hmm. you're not doing it right. And so, um, but but at boot camp, I finally started to <laughs> wake up. And there's been moments where he's tried to reach out and give me a boot camp. Sure. You know, experiences, you know. Um, I'd say boot camp really stuck, you know. But at boot camp, I was able to find God, be like, oh, cool. God loves me and there's hope for me. Mm. And that hope can change everything, right? Oh, yeah. The hope is everything. Yeah. So how have you deepened that like in your recovery? Cause you're like, I've had a lot of good going on since 2019. So yeah. Give us the secret sauce, Will. Oh, the secret sauce. I, you know, I've been listening to your guys' podcast for a while, uh, recently. And (laughs) for as long as it's been around, (laughs) I've been listening to it for a while just recently. I mean, I was how old when you guys, when you started it, Steve? It's all good, bro. You know, it's all good. You know, no judgment. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm starting to realize that there's like different forms of recovery that 12 step isn't like the end all be all. It is for some people. And the truth is, if I'm being honest, I'm still trying to figure out what it is. But for me, the thing that has brought healing and actually sobriety has been just connecting with God. Hmm. I, I don't know if... So what, what are the top ways you connect with God? So boot camp, that was a big shift. Boot camp was, was big. If, if I could put it into a broad category, prayer, just talking with him and having real conversations. Cause oftentimes I'd pray and it would hit the ceiling and bounce back. And I'd just be like, Hey God, mm-hmm. give me this, give me that for the day, you know? Mm-hmm. But now it's more like, God, wow. You're not just going to be there for me in the morning and in the night. I can invite you in every moment of the day, every thought that I have, if I give that to you and surrender that to you, that's why I love 12 step. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause that idea of surrender and all that they have, it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but really just surrendering all, everything that goes on, the, the trauma, the negative emotions that I'm feeling for the day, um, the pain, the shame, all of it. If I give all those thoughts to him, he can take that and hold that for me. Mm-hmm. And so there's times when I'm kind of, I'm right, right now in my recovery, I'm kind of glitching back and forth between earning it and not, mm-hmm. right? And I realize when I'm not earning it mm-hmm. that I'm finding sobriety. Mm-hmm. So where's sobriety at today for you? Oh, man. Satan knew that I was going to be on this podcast and he was hitting hard. Like so much stuff has been happening lately. Currently, I am at uh, no more than a week of sobriety, mm-hmm. but lately I've been able to go two months in between acting out, yeah. um, which is proof to me because the most I would have been able to gone to have gone earlier was a month. You know, last yeah. year that was it, yeah. but now I'm starting to see you know that progress there. Yeah, yeah and you were talking about even. Prior to that, like you were like two weeks was like a miracle. Yeah. Back in, right. Back yeah. in the day. Like so. in high school, going to school yeah. with pretty girls every day, no chance. 
No chance. Yeah. P.S. Pretty girls, not your problem that you're pretty. Will's problem. I know. That he doesn't I, I'm know owning God's it. Love. I'm owning Just it. Just so you know, I know. know. I know. I, I got to hold some compassion for little Will in high school. I, so. I as, as I do. I mean, because it was so many years ago, Will. So, I, oh. yeah, like 50, right? <laughs> For me or you? No, for James. James, yeah. yeah James there is over go. here raising James his hand. James is over like, here. That's me. So what's like... Love you, James. So you come into this loaded, right? Like, you know me, you know the podcast. So like, dr- drop the knowledge. Like, get, the story's out. You're here. We're in it. God's with you. Drop some knowledge, bro. Like, what are the things that if you had a microphone, you'd want to say? Because PSU literally have one right now. It's that there's hope. That's what I would share, honestly. For me, myself, if I had to share that with the whole world, it's that God loves you. He will be there with you every moment of every day. He has no limits. If you want him to, if you want to talk with him every second of the day, he'll be there with you. And the healing that he can provide is as I've been thinking a lot on my recovery lately, the emotion that I've felt in my entire life, by far the most powerful emotion has been God's love, has been love. Mm. All the fear, the trauma, and for me, the huge one, the shame, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't even compare at all. God's love is there. And it's and that's the great thing is that you can't you can't take that away. There's nothing you can do, nothing hmm. to take that away. If you had a song, Will, to represent your story in that message of God's love that cannot be taken away, what would it be? Ah, mm. uh, so many. Angel Armies, ten ten K by KB, just. You only get one. Ah, oh, so many. NF. Oh, you have instilled in me the love for Christian rap, and I'm grateful. Steve. You are so welcome. Thank willing you. Willing to indoctrinate anyone at any point in time. Amen. Send, me, send me an email. Do it. Not even that. Show up to his house. So we'll bounce. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, um, for me, the song that throughout the years has really helped me has been The God Who Stays by Matthew West. Yeah, yeah. Because he's not, <laughs> He as soon as he sees me coming back, he's not going to sit there and cross his arms and go, mm, I knew he'd be back. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, he's not going to shame you. He yeah. is running towards me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Will, always a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you guys. So shout out to KB, uh, honor God alone, his glory alone album. That's his latest release. Mm. If you haven't listened to it, what are you doing? <laughs> Go and listen to it. You don't even have to be into rap and there's still some really good stuff on there for you. Um, so if you were looking for scholarships, unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships or resources, go check out our resources page as well. If you would like to donate, unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. Follow us on social media at unashamedunafraid, Instagram and Facebook. If you've enjoyed listening to Will's story and you want more of the world to hear it, give us five stars on iTunes because that's how 
how the algorithms in the internet decide whether or not people should listen to what we have to say. And until we are with you again, which I hope is in the bonus content right after this. So donate, uh, become an outsider, bold, accepted, and unashamed, as will Sir William here is, became mm. an outsider last month. About yeah, time, did. Will. I know, I know. <laughs> just, I just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. Um, yeah. And so hopefully you join us for the bonus content. If not, until we see you again, continue to be unashamed. And with that, we will leave you with the message that God does stay. The God Who Stays by Matthew West. If I were you, I would have given up on me by now. I would have labeled me a lost car Cause I feel just like a lost cause If I were you I would have turned around and walked away I would have labeled me beyond repair Cause I feel like I'm beyond repair Oh but somehow you don't see me like I do Somehow you're still You're the God who stays You're the God who stays You're the one who runs in my direction When the whole world walks away You're the God who stands With wide open arms And you tell me nothing I have ever done Every time I thought I let you down Always thought I had to earn my way But I'm learning you don't work that way now Cause somehow you don't see me like I do Somehow you're still here You're the God who stays You're the God who stays You're the one who runs in my direction When the whole world walks away You're the God who stands With a wide open arms And you tell me nothing I have ever done Could separate my heart from the God who stays My shame can't separate My guilt can't separate Yours forever My sin can't separate